You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Hear the words of St. John. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near her, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of the vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Please be seated. I speak to you now in the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you have anything you need to finish this afternoon? This week? This month? This year? When will you be finished with work today? When is the kitchen renovation going to be finished? And how far over budget? Will it really be? Every single evening of my life, I ask my fifth grader, have you finished your homework, Camille? The collective cry of this city will always and forever be, will the road work at Malfunction Junction really ever be finished? Ricky Bobby explains it in Talladega Nights because we can't forget about the pressure to finish strong. Ricky Bobby says, if you ain't first, you're last. And what about your overbearing boss coming in your office at 4.57 last Friday afternoon asking you, are you finished with the so-and-so project? Anxious yet? I'm sweating just thinking about all the things I have to do. I have a theory that exactly 94.3% of the time, most of us are like White Rabbit in Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Do you remember this character, White Rabbit? Fearing the Duchess, he's the one always nervous and in a hurry to get things finished. 
As a relevant side note, in real life, Alice's father was Henry Lytle, who was the famous dean of Christ Church Oxford, and White Rabbit was inspired by him. And in the 19th century, there was no west door into the cathedral, and the deanery was on the far side of the west side of the cloister. So Lytle was always late for the liturgies because of the long sort of dogleg route he had to take. And his contemporaries said he was a very nervous and tempestuous man, always taking on too many projects and always rushing to finish meetings just so he could move on and begin in order to finish the next big project. The takeaway right now is that you don't have to be a 19th century uh, English cathedral dean to behave like Lytle. We are all culturally conditioned completely to be like Lytle. Productivity, how often do we hear that word? Getting across the finish line has become, frankly, one of the most popular replacement religions in our day. Substituting the sufficiency of God's accomplishment in our Lord Jesus Christ with human effort, with measuring up no matter the cost. Are any of you old movie buffs? Well, if you remember the 1935 film Under Pressure, it starred Edmund Lowe and Victor McLaughlin. And if you haven't seen it, honestly, it's worth the watch. It's unlike some of these new movies that are eight hours. It's only 86 minutes. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, and because it's not real popular, it's free. But it's profound. The plot is about two men, two businessmen, tasked with building a tunnel under the East River connecting Brooklyn and Manhattan. And whomever finishes their half first gets a huge bonus. Hello from the construction company. And whomever finishes first, we can tell, will win the attention and the affection of the woman they both love. I think under pressure, and basically everything I've said so far this afternoon, is ultimately, is genuinely just cover for the same existential questions, the foundation question, foundational questions that always have been in the back of our minds, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, uh, to quote talking heads. And the question goes like this, what givens must I cultivate to be deemed worthy? What must I finish to be beloved? In our house, I'm known as the one who likes to watch what my roommates call boring documentaries. That's a code word for anything about British history or World War II. And recently, I was enraptured in a documentary about the Battle of Dunkirk. Uh, anyway, the narrator reminded me that the Dunkirk operation had a plan that is often forgotten when we talk about that battle. You remember the backstory. In May 1940, Hitler's forces fighting in France and had basically driven 330,000 soldiers, basically the entire British army. They were driven onto a tiny stretch of beach along the French coastline. Hitler had destroyed most of their boats, cut off all the supplies, and the Luftwaffe was slowly killing off those left on the beach in a sick and twisted game of cat and mouse. 
they could almost see home, see England, see the cliffs of Dover, yet they had no way to get home. And of course, in one of the greatest miracles ever, home came for them. Pleasure boats, dinghies, frigates, you name it, all came together, braved the channel, and safely returned almost every single soldier. The rest of the story, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, however, is this. Their last-ditch effort to send over every vessel and volunteer had the very ambitious goal of only saving at tops a third of the soldiers stranded. And this brought up very difficult questions that nobody wanted to face. Questions like prioritizing who was most worthy of bringing home. Should we bring back the sharpshooters, the bravest, the youngest, the strongest, or the older and wiser? Pick me, pick me. Yet, irrespective of achievement and ability, all went home rejoicing, the brave and the coward alike, a sharpshooter along the shakiest gun in the West, the injured and the strong. Everybody was treated as somebody. Every single soldier was beloved. You can see this point coming with Jesus. There isn't a single person here today, a single person listening online who has to be stranded on an island of self-sufficiency. Whatever your situation, whatever mine, Jesus rescues, Jesus forgives, Jesus saves. When I was in elementary school down in Marengo County, Alabama, about a two hours drive south of here, in physical education class, we used to always play kickball. Do you remember that? That was sort of the game of the day, kickball. And then we, I can still remember it was always followed by a, a little chocolate milk from Barber's in the little paper carton. Do you remember those paper cartons? I'm just thinking of all these Alabama memories coming back, having been here a few days. And when it was time to play kickball, the process was always predictable. The teacher would pick, you remember, two team captains, usually the teacher's pets. And then the captains got to choose the players, you know, alternating back and forth. The best players, predictably, always got chosen first. Chip, Joe, Angie, let me think, Rebecca, Brooks, Dave, John, April, not that I remember this, uh, Catherine, and so forth. Since I was pretty much born an avid indoorsman, I was always chosen at the very bottom of the list. Even Elena Dixon, Elena Dixon, whose asthma was so bad she carried around a breathing machine on the field, went ahead of me. The message was clear. I wasn't good enough. Not that it's had any impact on the way I feel. But the gospel, the gospel is altogether different. None of us will ever be good enough. None of us will ever measure up. The whole message of the New Testament 
is that all of us, each of us, can face our spiritual immaturity and darkness, our bondage to the flesh and to the world in the light of day through the lens of the cross, through the proclamation of Jesus. It is finished. In death on a Friday afternoon, the late Richard John Newhouse reminds us, quote, it is finished means it is settled, decided, certain, complete, incontestable, consumatum est, and now there is absolutely nothing to fear. Have you all seen the movie uh, Captain Phillips? Um, I've watched I've watched more TV since COVID than in the previous 39 years combined. Uh, anyway, Captain Phillips remembers the one with Tom Hanks as a container ship captain, and he gets captured by Somali pirates, and he's ultimately rescued by a, a SEAL team in this awesome shootout. Uh, it's based on a true story. I guess I should have said spoiler alert. Sorry, uh, spoiler alert. And even though I've seen it before, I always um, cry like a baby at a particular scene in the end. Captain Phillips is ultimately rescued and he's taken onto a, a Navy ship, sort of a hospital ship for treatment. And clearly in shock, he is uh, trembling and he's crying and he, he's doing all the things that people do in shock. And the words of the nurse, who is totally playing a Jesus role, she puts her hand on his shoulder, looks him in the eye and says, Captain, you are safe now. I need you to calm down. I need you to breathe. The word from Jesus to you and to me is the very same today. You are safe now. I need you to calm down. I need you to breathe. Because it is finished. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.